Hello, hello to another episode of the Threat Intelligence Podcast. Our beloved expert Amar is on PTO this week, but fortunately I was able to convince my good buddy Glenn straight from Australia to jump on this month's episode. Glenn, my friend, how are you doing? Hey Jonas, uh, great to be here. I know with Amar gone, I've got some massive, massive shoes to fill, but we'll see if we can bring in the, uh, the Down Under team and, uh, and see what we can achieve today. I'm looking forward to having a great discussion. I'm sure. Thanks for being here. And it has been another wild week. Just when we look back at 2021, there were so many attacks against critical infrastructures. We had the water supply hacks in Florida in the beginning of the year. We had the colonial attacks. And now this week, new from the press, the attacks against the meat supplier JBS and apparently or according to the FBI Revo the ransomware group which has been super active as well in 2021 with probably the highest ransomware attack against Acer in Taiwan against uh, the travel the currency exchange in the UK TravelX but also against the um, against the Uniting Care uh, in Queensland, Australia. So they have been doing a lot of money, a lot of activity from different kinds of ransomware groups. And it's getting more and more sophisticated, more and more attacks. Many companies, they don't have many other solutions than paying the ransom. And it just feeds a lot of money back into the ecosystems. And we see a lot of these attacks going on against um, a lot of companies. What's your take on that, Glenn? Yeah, I think um, I know that I spoke since our uh, threat landscape report late last year. Um, I think I sort of spoke about, you know, the level of sophistication and sort of some of the trends in terms of not just the um, the software or in the sort of, you know, some of the ransomware uh, technologies that's being deployed against the victims, but also in terms of the tradecraft of the uh, threat actors that are actually driving these campaigns. I think, you know, the interesting thing for me, Jonas, is... Um, it's one thing to sort of, you know, go and leverage some sort of ransomware as a service platform, uh, you know, get your intended victims and then uh, email them with a with a phishing law um, and then do sort of a bit of a prey and spray type of attack. And maybe, you know, even if you get sort of a 2% uh, strike rate, it's still basically a sophisticated uh, campaign. But what we're seeing now with this sort of hybrid attack where there's the data theft um, and then ransoming the data before doing the uh, devastating in, uh, encryption of the and, and the ransom of the infrastructure. That's a level of tradecraft above and beyond sort of the simple, uh, the, the the simple sort of prey and spray attack. So, you know, you need to as a as a ransomware attacker, you need to be able to uh, you know land on your initial sort of foothold into the victim network. You need to be able to understand. Uh, where you are, you need to be able to reverse engineer the, the technical systems, and I guess in some cases, uh, you know, some of the business logic of that organisation to find out where you need to move laterally to to access the, um, uh, I guess, the data of value, and then slowly exfiltrate that out without being identified. So you know, things are getting sophisticated on both the the tools and also the uh, tradecraft of these bad guys running these lucrative campaigns, Jonas. Yeah, and it probably helps to have deep pockets when it comes to that. And I do believe they have very deep pockets because if we just look at the numbers, uh, most of these groups, at least the 
top five ransomware groups out there just in the last couple of months they made millions um, sometimes uh, i think on average it's more than 10 millions every single month and this is a lot of money to to allow them to further sophisticate their tools their attacks involve other players and go against bigger and bigger attacks so i think it's no surprise that we see attacks against um, these companies who make a lot of revenue because there's also more money in which they can make in the end because I think it's always important to keep in mind these ransomware groups they're pretty smart and they know they cannot ask for a amount which is is bigger than for example the company's yearly revenue because if they do that then chances of getting paid are pretty low so it's always this balance between knowing how much can a company actually afford paying and how much are they willing to pay and then in the end, all this money, um, some of it gets reinvested. Some of them is probably used for a nice retirement money at that one point later. But having this sophistication rising and rising is, is just, um, it, it's a big problem. And when we look at our own research, which we just did recently, where we got some samples from our community members, our analysts found as well a lot of interesting information when we think back about the, the dark side ransomware variants where the one we found targets um, different kind of disk partitions. Um, it's very efficiently written. So it's um, the way it's compiled, there's not a lot of space wasted. So the relatively size of the malware was, was super slow, which, um, which makes it easier to, um, to deliver it. And usually we expect bigger payloads, but this is something which we see like in, in normal businesses, they adjust their code, they make it more efficient, they, they make it as, as best as possible and um, and targeting new kind of attack vectors. Yeah, it was um, it was interesting, Janice. Um, uh, just on uh, on some of the um, I guess the financial side of uh, of the ransomware attacks. You know, the uh, dark side. I think we're talking about a two point five billion dollar turnover. But um, interesting enough, I just read an interview with uh, the dark one, with the leader of the dark side um, uh, crimeware gang. And they're saying some of the um, affiliates of those uh, gangs are leaving after making $50 million, but coming back just because they missed the, I guess, the thrill of the game. So it's, um, you know, in a lot of cases, it's financially motivated. And with that sort of that sort of money sort of on the table, obviously, that's going to take uh, organised crime, uh, take, take their interest. But certainly from a um, technical perspective, you know, the challenge is, is always there for, for the... Um, uh, I guess the uh, bad guys to come in and uh, and do their do their mission, which is sort of uh, <laughs> attack as many people as they can. Yeah, and I do think it, it's mainly financial driven. These ransomware attacks. I saw some conversations going on on different kind of platforms where people were arguing: Are these groups trying to put out a, a message like um, attacking the global supply chains to mess with the people? But I think it's normal that the bigger the companies are, the, the more revenue they make usually. So there are um, an interesting targets for these ransomware groups. And some of them, um, some of the trends are also interesting. So we saw when Darkseid got a lot of media attention, it, uh, they, they felt a little bit uncomfortable. So they went dark. Uh, we didn't really see them anymore, but just the, pretty much the next days, we have new ransomware groups like uh, Five Hands who pretty much offer the same services. So it's like if you cut off the heads from one of these ransomware groups, you have just two new ones who compete for the top spots because there's so much money to be made. And um, honestly, I don't really see this this trend going away. It seems like we are in the in the golden age of ransomware these days. Um, it and and it's it's very lucrative for these guys to to continue what they do. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, look, again, looking at some of the research that we did into Darkside, um, you know, besides being lucrative, they're definitely innovating. So, um, and I know uh, you and I were speaking about um, you know, some of the evolutions to looking um, even at things like uh, for multi-disc partitions, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, you know, one of the really interesting things uh, uh, from what we discovered with the dark side ransomware above and beyond that, and going back to my, uh, to my point before, where these attackers now are looking for even connecting to uh, you know, active directory controllers using, a, uh, using something like LDAP. Again, looking at that, looking for that lateral movement to uh, look for every single vector to be able to, you know, maximise the damage and maximise their reach into the victim organisation. They're definitely innovating uh, very, very rapidly. Yeah, you mentioned it. They they are targeting this one kind of uh, disk partitions because usually on different disk partitions there might be data available which is usually not mounted it might be used for backups so it's it's all about getting as much information about their next victim in advance and making sure they they get rid of, of most of the data maybe wipe the storages so it's not that easy for them to to get that their data back but also just to make sure if if the company is able to recover from a data point of view you hinted a little bit earlier we have these three, three different kind of layers which these threat actors are, are going after the first one is okay let's encrypt the data and blackmail the victim with you either pay the money or you won't get access to your systems anymore and just in case they find a way to restore the data the next thing they do is they sell the data on, on a different channel. For example, some underground markets where they're telling their victim, hey, if you don't pay, even though you restored your systems, we will sell your data to maybe your competitors, maybe to whoever is interested. And now recent trends are that these ransomware groups are even contacting all the clients because they know who the clients are of these companies. And what they will do is they will engage directly with their clients and will blackmail the victim that if they don't pay, they will engage their, the clients of the victim and will tell them, hey, we, we hacked your your trusted advisor and we know um, everything about you and you you might you might should look into different um, people to work with. So they're getting blackmailed on so, so many different layers just to add more and more pressure to the company paying the, the ransoms. Yeah, I did. I even read about one particular ransomware uh, organisation that was targeting um, cyber crime, uh, 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 cyber insurance agencies uh, or cyber insurance providers, uh, basically breaching those to get the um, client list, and then they can go and attack the clients because they knew that um, you know, that there would be a sort of an easy payday there. So, yeah, really, really um, insidious in terms of uh, how they're uh, and and I guess quite sophisticated how they're um, attacking the whole sort of ecosystem and value chain of a lot of these organizations. And I guess one one quick point for me, I, I remember designing a, a defense system years ago, which was a multi, multi-boot sort of uh, multi-petition uh, system that needed to be deployed into the field. And the idea being is if the main sort of primary uh, petition or the primary operating system got corrupted or anything bad happened, uh, there wasn't any uh, support around. So you just uh, reboot the thing into the other into the other sort of secondary petition and then come straight back up on the line. So obviously um, that particular solution would not be um, effective against that latest dark side ransomware variant. So yeah, very, very insidious. 
Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned you, you worked on the on the defensive side, and I know you you work a lot with, with government entities and uh, around critical infrastructure. So can you elaborate a little bit from, from your region, from Australia, what are the current topics there? What is the outcome of all of these attacks which happen now on a, on a daily basis? Um, yeah, so uh, Jonas, we've seen, we've been affected. So all these, uh, all these really, really high profile ones have, um, uh, have affected Australia. So if you, even if you go back last year to uh, solar winds, which obviously um, was a nation state attack as opposed to a cyber crime driven ransomware attack. But there was uh, plenty of Australian victims. Uh, there was a whole lot of Australian victims with the Hafnium uh, exchange attacks earlier this year. And even um, just this week, as we mentioned earlier, with the JBS Meat attack, which is a Brazilian organisation, that's had a, a significant impact on Australia. So there's 47 uh, facilities that they run here in Australia that uh, process about 8,500 cattle and 6,500 sheep every single day. And those 47 facilities were shut down as a result of this uh, ransomware attack. And we had just this week, and again, in the middle of a pandemic, um, we had 10,000 workers that were stood down. And you can just imagine the flow on effects from a supply chain perspective uh, to things like tra truck drivers and transport industry. So, you know, some of these uh, global trends are hitting really, really hard locally. So uh, one of the most interesting things that's sort of coming up in Australia is that we've got some critical infrastructure legislation that's been in place since 2018. And that largely covered electricity, electricity gas and water ports as critical infrastructure. Uh, we've now got an amendment that's going to our parliament just this month or next month, I believe. Um, and that's expanding that coverage to almost everything, uh, communications organisation, financial services, anyone that uh, has data storage and processing, uh, anyone that works in the defence industry, higher education, energy, technology, transport, food and water. So food and water is now uh, considered a critical infrastructure entity. And the new legislation is putting some really proactive cyber obligations onto some of these, um, uh, onto some of these organisations to really uplift their um, uh, their resilience level. So things like doing cyber security exercises, uh, requiring all these organisations to do vulnerability assessments, and um, having a, a, a tested incident response plan. So from an Australian perspective. You know, the government is responding and responding in a very, very uh, aggressive manner. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see the effect that we have across the board uh, this year, uh, again, based on sort of the severity of some of the attacks we've seen over the last 12 or 18 months. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, I think it makes a lot of sense because the impacts from all of these attacks, they are big to our daily life. And we need to step up our game. This is, these are um, threats which are not going away. There's uh, never was there more money to be made, and um, it's it's important to to keep up our guards to secure um, these environments as best as possible. And um, yeah, what was super interesting to hear what kind of actions are are coming out of, of this from from your part of the world. With that being said, this was a, another super interesting episode for me. Um, it was very nice talking to you, Glenn. Uh, any any last words from your side? No, thank you very much for, for having me, Jonas. Um, a great po podcast. And um, yeah, hopefully I could almost uh, reach to a mere level of, um, <laughs> of, of, of interest and expertise. It, w it was super interesting. Thanks so much for, for being here, Glenn. And I'm sure uh, sooner than later, I will ask you to come back. So 
you and myself uh, covering the Asia Pacific regions are are back on the podcast and uh, elaborating a little bit more what's going on, on on this part of the world. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in, and we hear you soon.